0: Hello and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and I'm reporting to you from the Berlinale today with Portuguese director Susana Nobre about her film, Jack's Ride. I'm very happy to be able to talk to you about your film.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: I wondered if you
1: could tell me about what brought you into the story of Joaquim. Well, I worked for five years uh, in an educational program for adults. It was very near to a, s- a job center. And I, I met with you and I worked in that program. I, I worked as a technician, but with the, the ambition also uh, of making a film about that program. Because it was a, very, it was a program that had, uh, had a very strong in, social impact in Portugal. Because of the low secularity level of Portuguese people, so it was a very powerful program. So I, I was involved in the, in that to make a film, and then I had the opportunity to to work as a technician. And I said, okay, I, I applied for the job, and I I was chosen. And then and then I, I once I took in, he was uh, unemployed, and uh, but also very near to retirement. So, so I, I, I met him uh, in the situation that is uh, recreated in the film. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm the the job center technician. The bureaucrat you know? at the beginning. Yes, at the beginning. <laughs> so I made that uh, I, I recreate a moment where I met Shuki. And that was the first moment he came in front of my desk. We start to talk. Uh, he was unemployed and he need to be inscribed for in the program because he could uh, lost the benefits for unemployment benefits. Uh, so it was a, a rule: people with low uh, with a, a low level of regularity. To it was a rule that ob- obliged him. To be uh, to do the program, he was forced to do the program uh, with the risk to lost the, the unemployed, the unemployment uh, benefits.
0: So, uh, and that so called stamp scramble to go and get uh, yes. all of the stamps yes. from the
1: potential yes. employer. Yes, it's very absurd because you know, he knew already that um, his life, his active life as worker, uh, uh, had finished. But he needed to prove once more that he was looking for a job. And <laughs> <laughs> he knew <didn't, you> already. <laughs> His life as worker at, 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 at ended. So it's kind of, it's, it's funny, but it's also um, disenchanted. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, and it shows how bureaucracy likes to disenfranchise the more aged in society, the more elderly and to undercut the strength of that. And I think that's shown in your film, actually, between the friendship he has with his friend who is diabetic and blind, and the strong bonds of friendship that they have, but also the way that it feels like they've been left by the wayside by both the government and all sense of anything other than each other.
1: Yeah. I think that this uh, supportive feeling that we that we see in, um, in Joaquin, very supportive, a very supportive person. I think that that's something that's um, from his education, of course, but it is also something from this uh, his uh, experience as immigrants. Something that uh, I think it's something that happens when someone is in another country. Uh, completely strange with another language, another culture. And, uh, I think the, that solidarity is something that came from that experience. You, you need uh, to be open to the others. It's kind of a solidarity chain in these immigrants' communities. Yeah. I think, I think, um, there's a, this is a quality, uh, an aspect of the character of Joaquin Yeah. And I love how he comes through
0: almost performing himself in these very playful ways in your film. You specifically point out the artifice of the documentary in so many places within the film, showing the car with the screen behind to indicate that he's driving or the cameras that are filming at any given time and the way that he's interacting with actors so that he can replay a scene as if he's an action hero or a mafia boss or something. And I just wondered, how did he feel about interacting with his memories that way?
1: He was very open and to a certain limit. Uh, there were certain things that he didn't want to talk about, he didn't want to expose. Uh, so I think he directed me also. Um, because this is a very biographical film, it's like a portrait. Uh, so when you you are when you are in these in those limits of a biographical film, I think you need to to be truth with uh, the elements to, of, of the life elements. And I think it was something. It was um, uh, an agreement between us that we we will not put the strange things from. For him, mm-hmm. not be. And other things, and, and we can more or less uh, manage what you, you want to expose or what you don't want to expose. I think he had, uh, of course, a strong uh, decision mm-hmm. about it. So that's why I say that he also directed me. Mm-hmm. Most of the texts of the film uh, were written by him, Or by me, but uh, from the the interviews and from our conversations.
0: How much of it would you say came out in the editing room
1: versus was very intentional and planned? I took a lot of time to edit the film. It was a very, very difficult, very obstinate work. um, Because I think I I, I thought in a certain moment I was a little lost and uh, I... I, I, I had a certain afraid of not having a film. I, it was like, a, this is, it was very risky film, I think, for me. Yeah.
0: It is very risky. Anytime you're dealing with a subject that is both playful in the way that it approaches a subject in the way that you do, and also very reflective of multiple countries and societies and trying to reflect on cities in a very specific way no. i think that's very challenging to yeah. yes
1: it was really and to put that in the same layer and without cut the relation with this, the the spectator to ma- to keep all the all in the same level yeah Now, I had one question, though, about something that
0: happens in the film that I didn't completely understand. And you probably know exactly what I'm about to ask, but the scene with the gravesite. Okay. What is happening (laughs) there? Because I feel like I don't have proper context (laughs) to really understand what's happening.
1: No, maybe if you had already been in contact with the uh, graves, maybe you know you knew what hap- what happened there uh, it's a phenomenon a phenomenon um that uh, when it rains, sometimes the land falls down when the land is still fresh the uh, the land can f- fall down, and that's what happened. With uh, his uh, mother's grave, oh. I know it's not. It's not clear. It's something that he told me this is a, when I when I was preparing the film, I, I was always uh, picking stories elements for the film, and it was an episode, an event that he told me that happened once he arrived to the cemetery and he saw this big um, hole. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tried to ask for some guys that work in the cemetery to help him. And they said no. So he started to do it by himself. I think it was funny. And, but at the same time in the film, has another sense, strange sense, that I really don't know what it means. Like he was like something like uh, he was fighting against... The, Death. I, I don't know. Yeah. Since you like that.
0: But also the neglectful nature of how the cemetery wouldn't take care of its dead or preserve the gravesite or in that conversation about funerary urns. Oh, yeah, just come at three and pick what urn you want her to have been in. And just feeling like you have to believe the lie and trust the lie that you're being told. I guess it further talks to me, at least, about that disrespect toward the elderly, toward the dying, toward
1: the dead. That's beautiful.
0: I really enjoyed this film, and it was very interesting to me to look at the way that his life reflects on his life in America versus his life in Portugal and working on the airplanes and then commuting between the two spaces and comparing places like Villa Franca and New York. How explicit were you in terms of trying to compare those sites visually? How hard was that?
1: I think it was the center of the film to create the, the, its own territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I think that the film creates something. Uh, Joaquin creates his own atlas that it's not only geographical it's, it's geographical because he makes this uh, bridge between portugal and new york that are very surprising and and uh, at the same time is a memory atlas also so it's a territory that it's not only physical it's also habited by his memories and his ghosts
0: And I also wanted to say I love the soundtrack that you use within the film. It's a very unique soundtrack, and it's very beautiful. And I wondered how you decided on which tracks you were going to use. Was that a very conscious decision?
1: Yes. uh, The first one is a a Portuguese band from the 60s, Ecus, a rock band that was... I, I it was looking that show, showed show me the the this music it was something from his youth that uh, he liked it a lot, and the other the, um, the the saxophone music it was something that my father uh, listened a lot. Oh, okay, <laughs> you know that kind of um, uh, chill out music, and my, it's, it's from Fausto Papetti. Mm. The version uh, and and, it, and it's also a a version from Unchained Melody of Elvis Presley. So it was a very subdu- subtle way of having something from Elvis in the film, but very, very discreet presence. And the Fausto Papetti, the, the the player who makes the interpretation of Unchained Melody, it's someone that I, I, I listened a lot when I was a kid, because my father... <laughs>
0: So it connects as well to your memories, just as much as to Joaquin's. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so very much for this. Obrigada. Thank you. Good luck at the festival.
1: Thank you. Very nice. Bye. Ciao.
0: Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, Take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money, we want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.